Hey there, Discerning ThoughtBot podcast listener. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask for your feedback. There's so many cool things that we'd love to do with all the shows and want to know how you feel about our sponsor reads and the possibility of starting a Patreon-style campaign to make them all possible. If you could head over to tbot.io slash survey for a super short questionnaire, your input would be much appreciated. That link again is tbot.io slash survey. And hey, thanks. We have the worst, like, I don't understand how the Wi-Fi could be so amazingly bad here in a huge ass co-working space, like a gigantic co-working space. They have three or four floors in the middle in downtown Austin. And uh-huh. the show I recorded with Mark yesterday, we were, you know how like you and I have had shows where we're recording and at the end it's like, oh, wow, we were way like sync drifted just over the internet. You know what I mean? It's like. Like our right. audio, like there was a huge delay and it's just consistently like that. Like hangouts are basically unusable here. Hmm. And <laughs> I think the internet is worse in like the phone booths <laughs> and <laughs> right here where I do my podcast recordings. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> like specifically- it's exactly where I want the Wi-Fi to be the best <laughs> and it's the worst. Right. So I think I'm so tired of fighting recording problems but there's a ethernet port on the wall over there so i think what i'm going to do is buy an ethernet adapter and yeah, try that and a long ass cat five or something just run it yeah. across the room because i don't know what else to do by the way i read somewhere recently that there is cat five cable and there's cat six cable and yeah if you're not using cat six cable you're actually these days networks are fast enough that it can make a difference. Hmm. So if you're not using cat six cable, you won't get as high speeds as you would with cat five cable. Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that was not the case. It didn't really, no one had networks fast enough for it to matter. But nowadays people do. Good to know. So, so I guess I'll buy a cat six. I don't know. I have no idea technically what the difference is, but apparently there's something. I think it's more cats. I think that's the difference. More cats. <laughs> one more cat. That would be my, professional opinion on what the difference is mm. as a technology worker you're yeah. the expert <laughs> right <laughs> hey everybody this is gordon in austin and this is jack in stockholm and this is build phase well, do you like doing tech support stuff for like family and friends and stuff? I, I guess I should. I shouldn't assume that people dislike doing that or or I, feel uncomfortable doing that. You know, I used to not like doing it much. Well, I guess, and I, I'm not a huge fan of it in general. Right. It's it's okay when it's when it's family, but it's it, it ends up being weird when it's like somebody's relatives, aunts, neighbors, uncle. <laughs> it's like oh. You're good. Come over here and help this yeah. guy you've never met fix right. his thing. Like that's that's not much fun. Right. You're good with computers. You work with computers. Help me <laughs> debug Microsoft <laughs> Word on Windows XP on this Dell from 2002. Right. It's like I've, right. it's like, I haven't uh, touched no any of this in years. <laughs> like I have no idea. Yeah. The one exception for me really is uh, my parents, who I don't meet that often, and I'm not in their homes that often. And I wish I could be around to help them more, but I can't, and it's kind of frustrating. They're like the the two people that I would be most willing to help out. But 
I'm not really around. Yeah. So what can you do? Right. But what were you going to say about the- I just said I dislike doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was there was no point. I was just okay. complaining about people cool. genuinely asking me for help and my not wanting to provide that help. <laughs> that's that's t- totally valid. Some people want to give that help. Actually, I was talking to a company here in Stockholm that has um they're starting up a thing that is kind of like uh crowdsourced geek squad. So Instead of relying entirely on full-time employees, they're thinking of people who can like sign up and say, hey, I'm really good at helping out people's modem problems, and I'm available these hours of the week, and if you have cases that come up, then contact me, and then I can help them with their thing, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. So like the people who actually are good at a particular thing and want to help other people can do this and get paid for it ideally instead of just being looped into doing stuff for right. free and then also actually get the right people to actually solve the problems because like right. just like we were saying if someone wants help with their windows xp machine i'm not much good for them but people who don't know would just say oh he, you're a computer guy you can do this yeah that seems like a good idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's that but so far, it's, they just are barely available in Sweden and some other Nordic countries. So it's it's small. But actually, it's kind of a cool idea because they actually want to they want to make it broad enough that you can not only not only find someone who is good at the technology you need help with, but who lives really close by is, you know, a short drive or maybe even a walk away from where you live in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. it's like they would try and first tackle things on the phone, and if they couldn't solve it on the phone, they could come and do a house call. Yeah, I think the cool. main the main thing going against them is that people are so used to having free help from somebody that they know. Like you can always rope somebody into it, right? Like, oh, I'll call this person. This person, somebody's gonna know, and mm-hmm. so people are not, are not gonna want to pay twenty bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever. But we'll see. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. What have you been working on? Well, I started a new job, new actual job, job yep. consulting company, and. That's been fun so far. Same company that Rada is at, so that's cool. We're mm-hmm. still that's good. We're still together on things, and we might actually work on some projects together. Which, you know, despite having sat four feet away from each other the past three years, we've never actually worked on any actual client projects together. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So much of what we were always doing in, in the Stockholm office with Thoughtbot was just a lot of it was one person jobs. Right, and even when, when it was multi-person jobs, it was seldom iOS. It was web things. So, yeah, it just never really happened. But hmm. so we always talked about stuff. We were always, you know, talking to each other about what we were doing, but we were never really working together, which we now potentially will be. So it's good. That's good. That's good. It's a it seems like it seems like a good company that we're at. It's my hunch is that if I had ever been working in an office, a thoughtbot office like in Boston or New York City, where there's a lot of people and other things going on this is probably pretty much what that feels like. You know, it's, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of different projects coming and going, people coming and going. Yeah. A much more vibrant environment than you get when you'd only have four or five people. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, it is interesting, the difference between, you know, the Boston office and the Austin office. 30 right. people in Boston, and we're sitting at, I think, seven right now here in Austin. So it's like a huge change. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Just a different dynamic. Yep. So anyway, I haven't really settled on 
a single project yet. I'm only sort of in my second week of this. We're talking to a lot of different customers or potential customers about a variety of things, and uh, yeah, we'll see. But so far, it's so far it's been good. It's fun to be doing things and having a lot of stuff going on around me. Yeah. And I've been messing around a bit more with WatchKit than I had before, just like uh-huh. making some some toy things, and both with WatchKit and with CloudKit. So I've got a thing that you run it on your phone and on the watch, and that all saves to CloudKit. And it's pretty cool. It's not, I haven't quite implemented things all the way out. So CloudKit lets you, like you create these record objects that are just sort of fancy dictionaries that can be saved to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And you can fetch those. You make, you make queries and put a, uh, a predicate on there and things, and you fetch things. And then you can, what, what I haven't done yet is you can sign up for notifications also based around predicates. So I can make a predicate that says, okay, if any records are inserted records of this type that match this predicate, then Mm -hmm. I want to be notified. And those notifications come into the app delegate on iOS, or they come into the, what's it called, the extension delegate or whatever on the watch. And on the watch, it's more limited. Like I think Apple guarantees that up to 50 a day will be received by the watch, but not necessarily more than that. I think that's the deal. So they want to sort of conserve battery usage. So hmm. if you have, I think like one of the app examples they talked about at the WWDC this summer was if you have an app that is showing stock prices and they're changing fast and furious all day long, you would not want to be pushing those out to the watch in any way. Right. And like, there are a variety of ways to push things, and one of those is CloudKit, right? So, yeah. So anyway, it's it's interesting. I, I ha- so I haven't yet done the thing of actually creating these notifications to sign up for for things changing, but that's sort of the idea. So I can I'm be able to sort of tap something on the watch, and it will get saved CloudKit, and the phone will notice the change right away because we get a notification. That's the idea. So does that does that mean you don't have to run your own push servers? Uh, yeah, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, like you can just watch data and have the Cloud will tell you when that data changes. So could you, in theory, run your own server that connects with CloudKit through their external web services API mm-hmm. to basically use CloudKit as a push server? Yeah, I would think so. Seems like you could, right? Because once you get notified when data changes... I mean, then you're just, you're back in the app, you know, and at that point you can toss up a local notification, which for the user looks like any other notification. So you can't have CloudKit send, like, it will only send silent notifications. You can't register for CloudKit to send you actual push notifications. Right. I think in terms of technology, it may work the same, basically, but it doesn't come into your app as a push notification. It comes in as a CloudKit notification content available basically kind of a thing yeah something like that i don't remember i haven't done it yet so i haven't taken that step but it seems like it does that and then so i I guess i don't know if it even if it sends you in that notification if it sends you the updated or new or deleted record itself or if it just sends you a thing saying hey this happened matching your your predicate and you have to go do a query on your own i'm not really sure i'm not just i'm not there yet even if you did have to do that and then you like you said, just shove a local notification up. That's pretty minimal, and that's really easy, and does not involve setting up a push server and certificates right. and all that stuff. 
And so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty neat. It's not, you know, CloudKit won't solve every problem, but for some stuff, it seems to be pretty decent. The only real difficulty I've had so far is that when you're doing it on the watch, for some reason, WatchKit does not support CloudKit in the simulator, Hmm. only on the device. Hmm. And that is problematic for two reasons. One is that when you're actually running on the device, you know, it has to push it out to your phone, which pushes to the, the watch, and then it just it's it's slow. Mm-hmm. Like starting the app is slow, launching is slow, hitting breakpoints and stopping and debugging and stepping is slow. Like you 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 want to step, you're used to stepping forward in an app that you're running locally or even just on a plugged in iPhone. Yep. And it doesn't take a long time, but on the watch it takes you hit step and you gotta wait a few seconds before it actually will step to the next thing. Likewise, you know, you want to print something out in the, in the command line of the debugger, inspecting something. It just takes it takes a long time. So oh. that's a problem. And another problem I found is that something can get messed up in the technology when you are just installing apps, like running apps from Xcode on the watch. Like it, sometimes it will just like seem to not happen, or it, it'll run the app maybe. <laughs> In Xcode, it will look like the app is running, but nothing happens on the watch. Huh. And then if you go in on the watch and like bring up the app by tapping on its icon, then you'll see oh, like you'll see it kind of flash up, and you'll see a thing a spinner start to go, showing that it's that it's relaunching the app. Huh. And you see, and I mean, Xcode tries to deal with this. It actually seems to sort of notice that oh, this thing has started. Oh, it went down. Oh, it started again. Oh, okay. And it, it kind of attach. It sometimes will attach to it and let you debug, but sometimes it will not. And sometimes I've had it go where Xcode seems to think that the app is is launched, running. You know, you can see in the debugger view on the left when it looks like an app is running, and it shows like there are little bars ticking across and showing you CPU percentage, but on the watch itself the app is nowhere to be seen. It doesn't have an icon in the launcher. It's not on your screen. Nothing's happening. So it's, wow. So that kind of stuff is seems to be a lot hairier than actually just doing the debugger on the simulator. So the simulator for the watch seems to work better. But again, no iCloud at all in the watch huh. on the simulator. And why that is, I don't know. I was searching on the internet. It seems like in earlier betas, it was maybe there, and it maybe was, was taken away in like beta 3 or something. I'm not sure. And now in the full release, it is still gone. That's really weird if it was there and they just removed it. Like, I'm part of yeah. me is used to, at this point, weird differences between the simulator and device in terms of capabilities. Mm. Like, not happy about those differences because it's very frustrating to have kind of a hobbled simulator uh, but i'm used to those differences it's very weird to me if that they would introduce something on the simulator and then take it away later yeah i may be i may be misreading it too that may not be what's happening but yeah. that's kind of the impression that i got but i mean they do they do put things in xcode and then take it away later do you remember were you doing this when they started having wireless debugging that you could actually debug to an iphone that was not plugged in i remember that but only vaguely, and I never used it. It's gone now. Yeah, it's gone. It was it was only there for a short time. Like I think not even like a, not even a year was it around. I think mm. it, probably just because it didn't work that well. I, right. I think I think I probably tried it, and I can't remember if it worked or not. If it worked, it was probably just stupidly slow and flaky, and so I gave up on it. Right. 
I can't imagine that working well. Like, no. The reason that I didn't ever use it is probably because I was like, well, that's not, I, I don't have time for this crap. <laughs> yeah. I have other that's things not, to do. <laughs> that's not going to be good. You just know it's no. not going to be good. No. no. And I think that's, I mean, the, well, it sounds good, right? Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds like what you want, but it, but in practice, you just know it's not going to work that well. And that's the, that's the experience you still have right now with debugging on the actual watch instead right. of on the simulator. That sucks. As far as I can see, just like, ugh. All power to them for at least trying to make it happen. And for, I mean, the technology is there that it can happen, but it's just, it does not work very well yet. Yeah. I've still done, for all intents and purposes, zero watch development. Yeah. I'd like to try it again because when I did it the last time, I just found it an incredibly unpleasant experience. Just Mm -hmm. across the board, unpleasant. Right. The lack of testing support still doesn't fill me with like a lot of excitement mm. and joy or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like that still bothers me a lot, but even beyond that, like I would hope that it's gotten better since watch OS three, but I, I feel like it probably hasn't. I think uh, the lack of testing can be somewhat made up for if you build your software the way we usually try and build it, right? Where things are decoupled and try and make the GUI layer as thin as possible. Like, you know, it seems like we settled on a couple of years ago to kind of not, bother trying to test GUIs so much, right, you know, right, try and right. split everything out so everything is in views and view models or, you know, presenters, whatever you want to have. Right. And so, like, right now, what I have in in this test app that I'm working on, okay, I haven't actually written any, there are no tests in this app of mine, but the code is very much split out so that the actual code in the watch app that is, that is exclusively for the watch app is very, very small. It's just an interface controller or interface, what is it? Yeah, what's it called? Interface controller, yeah. Yeah that just does a couple things and it just talks to some other stuff that I have that does all the cloud kit. And that code is identical. It's the same source code file being used for the watch and the phone. So I can test that. I can write tests around that, you know, and run it against the phone app. So, yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's what we're doing with our open source stuff, right? Is we have tests that get run against the iOS, Mac and tvOS targets but it does bother me that I can't test that code when it's built against the architecture that it's going to be run with. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that, I mean, that is that is a concern. I mean, at that point, though, if it's really the same code on all these different platforms... Yeah, it, it should be fine. And it, and it doesn't work on the watch, that probably means it's not your problem. It's Apple's problem or something, mm-hmm. but you still want to know. Yes, that's it exactly. I, I don't want to be caught by surprise with this stuff. Right. Yeah, that that is that is somewhat worrying, but I think that like overall, what they've added to WatchOS three is pretty nice. It gives it a lot more capabilities. You know, we went from having WatchOS one, which was extremely limited. It was almost like, you know, it was almost like throwing web pages across across a fence. Like you didn't really all the code is running on the phone, and just all you could just sort of push an interface across and say, "Here you go," and then wait for a button to be, to be clicked or something. Right. From that to watch OS 2, where you at least were running on the watch and could do some things, but in terms of the kind of interfaces you could make, it was still very limited. And now you can use SpriteKit and SceneKit and whatever. So it's, I think there's a lot of potential for more things to be done. And I think the addition of things like CloudKit, I think, will actually help quite a bit. Just in terms of what I've seen so far, it makes the synchronization of data across the watch and the phone a lot easier. So before, I think we talked about this before a little bit, the, the kind of 
back and forth uh, communication between the watch and the phone when you're just sort of pushing things at each other. Mm-hmm. That is kind of hairy. And if you're going to build something that's exchanging a lot of model objects back and forth, suddenly you have to sort of deal with this. You have, you have to kind of marshal these things and push them across across the wire or not the wire, the air. Yeah. And to pull them out on the other side. Whereas if you use CloudKit instead, it gives you a little bit more structure to things. And also it kind of, you know, CloudKit acts as a database. It acts as the single source of truth in a sense. So right. whatever your apps are doing are just talking to CloudKit and you never can get into a problem of, oh, well, I did the same thing on both the watch and the phone at the same time. So what's going to happen? Right. You know, which of these things is true? Well, it doesn't matter because you're, you know, they're both talking to the server anyway. The server is what's true. And so if you can always, you know, always kill your app and restart it and you're back to whatever the server had. Yeah. So it seems promising. I'm enjoying it so far, despite the terrible watch launch times and stuff when you're debugging. But have they cleaned up at all? Have they cleaned up like the weird lines around like what goes in the extension versus what goes in the app? Cause I know that when I was doing it with watch OS two, you needed like three things. Is that right? You needed mm-hmm. like, you needed the glance and you needed the watch extension and then you needed the watch app. Is that the way it was? Right. So there's still an app and an extension. That's such a bummer. The glance, I'm not sure if that's, was that a separate target? I thought actually? so. I never did a glance. I think that is what has that's kind gone. of disappeared. Yeah. That's gone in WatchOS 3. So I, the project that I have that I've been working on here, I made a uh, you know totally clean slate project and it gave me an iPhone app and tests and a WatchKit app and a WatchKit extension and that's it. But so like, so why you still is have there, to have yeah. the app and the extension. And I think, that, yeah, to me, it seems like those should not have to be distinct, right? It used to be that the right. extension was actually code running on the phone. Right. And the app was what was, was pushed across. Is that um, the way it was? Why or, those are, I think so. See, I can't, I can't Yeah, because Because the app is the thing that has the storyboard in it. Right. And so all you'd have on the phone was like the storyboard. And yeah. the extension was 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 the code. Right. And so now, right. but now the extension is being installed on the watch as well. Yes, yeah, so they're both installed in the watch. I guess they're kind of bundled up together, but they still appear, I mean, there's still two targets in the project. I don't really know why, and I don't know when that's going to change. Yeah, I hope it does, because I, I find that incredibly confusing. Yeah, it's unnecessary mess, sort of. Yeah, right. And I hopefully that they will get rid of that relatively soon maybe next year maybe watch us for i mean right now it's not it's not really a problem right you know it's just sort of it's this additional additional thing mm-hmm. and like i found that uh i set the bundle display name right because when you make it when you make one of these apps you name the app and the iphone app gets that name and the watch app gets name space watch kit space extension so so like i made a yeah complication and that thing turned up when I got that working. It shows up on the on the watch, and you select it, and its name is app name watch kit extension. Like you have to go in and change that. And so I went into the extension target and changed the display name, and I went through the whole thing of you know making sure I got it off the watch and reinstalled it, and it was still wrong. So I had to go into the app target and change it there also. And it's like it's all these sort of <laughs> like why do we why do I have to do this? I don't know. Yeah. So, man, watch kit. 
It's the bee's knees. <laughs> yeah. And it's the pits. I need to give it another shot, basically, is where I'm at with it. Yeah. Look at some of the uh, videos from this summer. There's some interesting stuff about how it works. There's a good video, I forget what it's called, where there's a guy sort of talking about kind of the the life cycle of how an app on the watch is launched and when it's launched and when it gets updated and all these things. Okay. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty complicated. Like it, it gives you a lot of opportunities to do it wrong in a way. Like it, it's set up so that you, if you want to be smart and save battery and still have a nice interface, there's a certain kind of sequence of things you have to do in the right order to make sure just because, you know, it's getting data pushed to it at weird times and it's getting looked at at weird times and, you kind of, there's kind of a lot to think about because the battery is so tiny. So, Right. Cool. Wrap it up? All right. Sure, let's do it. So show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 110. As always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter at buildphase. And you can send us email, hosts at buildphase.fm. Did I miss anything? I think that was it. Cool. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. See you.